Welcome to Eye to Eye, the podcast of the Royal College of Ophthalmologists. My name is Sunil Mamtora, and I will be your host. In this episode, we hear from Aman Chandra, a consultant vitreoretinal surgeon and the awards and scholarships lead at the college. This extensive interview discusses a wide range of topics in regard to the current pandemic. Um, I'm Aman Chandra, I'm from Southend Hospital, and uh, I'm hosting the podcast today um, on the 19th of April 2020. In very different times to uh, what we normally had, we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. At this stage, about half the world's population is on some sort of uh, lockdown. Um, our practice of ophthalmology has changed immeasurably to how it was only two months ago uh, here in the UK, and it's probably changed forever. Uh, the European epicenter of the COVID-19 outbreak um, is in Bergamo in northern Italy. A recent paper published in Current Eye Research entitled Facing COVID-19 in the Ophthalmology Department delineates the experience in Bergamo. Uh, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome my friend and, uh, and colleague and author of this paper, Professor Mario Romano. He needs no formal introduction, but allow me to do so nonetheless. Uh, Professor Romano is Professor and Director of Ophthalmology at the Humanitas University in Milan in Italy. Uh, he first qualified um, in the, from the Secunda University in Napoli and completed his specialist training at the same institute. He underwent fellowship training at the Mass Ironier Hospital in Boston, followed by Liverpool in the UK. Uh, this was followed by a period of research uh, during which he completed a PhD. He is, um, uh, he is now the PI and the, of the Retinal Disease Research Laboratory at the Humanitas University, and his clinical special interests include retinal diseases and vitro-retinal surgery. He's published over 180 peer-reviewed papers and 16 book chapters. Uh, he has invented and has a number of patents on, on numerous ophthalmic devices and has been awarded grants in excess of 500,000 euros. Mario, it's a real pleasure to have you on this, on this podcast on eye to eye um, and, uh, and it's a real honor to talk to you. Thank you very much, really. Thank you for your kind invitation. Thank you, Haman. My, my, my pleasure, Mario. So, Mario, let's talk about your, your paper. Let's talk about firstly about your, how you are in Milan. And if you... So, as you know, Italy, and in particular, the place where I'm working now is between uh, Milan and Bergamo, is facing this uh, dramatic challenge of uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus. And uh, so what, uh, you know, we feel now, as, uh, because we are ophthalmologists, we need to speak just, you know, as ophthalmologists, we don't want to, you know, uh, go, you know, in other fields because it really is not our, you know, job. But, uh, you know, as ophthalmologists, I can tell right now that probably the eyes is not to be the target of the virus, but it seems that ophthalmologists are the target of SARS-CoV-2. So that uh, means that really we need to be careful about that. You know, it's not just uh, something that, I mean, uh, I can tell because, uh, you know, it's something emotional, but, you know, really in our department, we are 24 and most of us, you know, were COVID positive, uh, you know, and uh, one of our colleagues, uh, you know, died in, in the last few days. So, uh, and uh, he was really in good shape uh, and uh, was working with us until a few weeks ago. So really, uh, I, uh, um, I want to just tell, you know, what is the situation right now? What is the situation that can be, you know, everywhere? And uh, yes. so, yeah. Uh, this, this is terrible news and, and, and terrifying to hear. Um, and and Mario, how 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 are you and 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 your family? No, we are okay. Um, we didn't have uh, you know any symptoms. My wife is also working in an oncology hub, so still going to work every day. And we have just two you know kids and no parents with us, so the situation is quite uh, you know easy for us at the moment. But you know you never know because uh, you know we are working with COVID uh, you know every day. And I'm not really working much as ophthalmologist anymore in the last, you know, for the last, you know, seven weeks. Uh, but, you know, now I'm working, uh, helping, uh, you know, in other uh, uh, specialties field. So, uh, you know, basically, you know, we are facing a situation uh, where everywhere, you know, we need to help as much as we can. 
what kind of things are you doing, Mario? Because I mean, you're, you're, I mean, you're a professor of ophthalmology, you're a vitreational surgeon. So what kind of things have you been redeployed to? What kind of roles are you doing? So we are doing um, admin, administrative work. That means we try to help, you know, you know, the other, you know, uh, specialists. And uh, we sometimes they ask us to monitor the patient, and if something goes wrong, uh, you know we need to you know uh, go to them, you know to report the situation. And we are also calling uh, you know the um, relatives of the patient that are the uh, you know inpatients, and uh, so we to tell uh, the situation and if it's getting bad, uh, worse or uh, better. And uh, so this is what we are doing. Of course, uh, you know, uh, we are helping, uh, you know, uh, as, uh, as much as we can, but uh, it's not really, you know, our main job, our, you know, main activity. Of, of course. course. And t t tell me about the situation in Milan generally. How, how, how is it now there? Are, are you still in lockdown? Now we are still locked down, but the situation is much better. So at the moment we have 176,000 of uh, uh, positive, okay? But we, we know that is underestimated because probably there are you know, a lot more. And uh, um, uh, 23,000 deaths. So, um, but the situation, you know, is uh, uh, related to this R zero number. So, is uh, mainly is uh, um, the number of uh, the uh, people that can be infected by the one, you know, a person. And now is between zero and one. So we are happy. So because it was, uh, you know, much higher before. And now the aim was, you know, to have a number between zero and one. So, and this is uh, good because for us now is starting the phase two of the, you know, disease that means is not locked down, uh, you know, anymore, at least, you know, in two, in two weeks, we think that we'll be not locked uh, down anymore. And uh, so we started to, you know, the second phase that uh, for us, I think will be very challenging uh, because, uh, you know, we need to reshape, rethinking about everything. As ophthalmologists, we need to rethink about our activity. And, but, you know, uh, in, uh, in each field, uh, you know, we need to think, you know, differently because the situation... Can I ask you, so, so phase two, does that mean your society is opening up a bit, uh, coming out of lockdown? Uh, right now, we are still in lockdown, but we are open. Phase two, yeah, we are opening. And, uh, you know, everything will go through the, you know... Uh, to find the low risk population. So we are working a lot yeah. on serological screening. And uh, because, you know, um, are currently introduced as epidemiological measures to assess the infected population. Uh, of course, uh, still they need, uh, you know, validation because, you know, the, the sensibility specificity is lower uh, than PCR on the, you know, swab. But, uh, you know, um, I think uh, we likely turn into an important instrument to prove the immunity because, you know, we really need it. You touched on this figure R0, which, um, which is uh, none of, not, neither of us are virologists or epidemiologists, but um, we all think we are now. <laughs> um, but uh, my understanding of R0 is it, it represents the number of people who in a population who would be infected by one infected person yeah if that population if that population is all susceptible to the disease in the absence of adequate isolation so so my understanding of r0 for sars-cov-2 is it's about two and a half but of course that can change mm -hmm. i understand mm -hmm. and perhaps your isolation in milan has now reduced it to less than one is that is that is that a correct is that a fair explanation? Yes. So it's uh, exactly. So it just is, is a measure of disease potential, and uh, so we are uh, looking, you know, for you know to this number to have you know less than one, and uh, because then we can change, uh, you know, the from phase one to phase two. So we can, you know, uh, start to you know leave the lockdown, the complete lockdown, and. Uh, 
to stratify the population and in our field to stratify the patient that we can see face to face or in different how like yeah. virtual clinic or if you open up your society is there not a risk that r0 increases above one again so, yeah so this is what we want to avoid you know and we are really scared about that probably the, you know the the worst thing i think will be to go back uh, in a few weeks to complete lockdown again is uh, the worst probably situation now. Mario, let's, let's uh, move on to something we're more familiar with, which is ophthalmology, um, and talk about your paper. Um, would you be able to um, sort of summarize your, your paper is a, is, a, is a great reference tool to, to, to decide and discuss how we might um, change our our clinical behavior and our organization of the clinics. Um, and I wonder if you could, if you, if you would, wouldn't mind just summarizing a little bit about the changes you've had to make with regard to, let's start with how you run your clinics in, in Bergamo. We think that ophthalmologists are at high risk and the outpatient clinic is also at high risk so the, for the respiratory droplets at this little lamp also because uh, we are working with the high risk patient for age and for comorbidities so the for us uh, you know um, the first point was to have a good triage and very effective triage so general triage first and then ophthalmology triage Regarding the general triage, is done by a secretary of the outpatient clinic. And uh, just a few questions about uh, if the, the patient have been in close contact with the person know or suspected to have coronavirus. Second question is about the symptoms, so cough or shortness of breath. And the third one about the temperature, if it's more than 37.5 Celsius degree. And then... So that, 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 temperature is taken, that temperature is taken by the patient? By the patient at home. Okay, at home. Then, you know, if... Uh, then when we try to stratify the patient in order to have three different uh, uh, groups. One, you know, that need to be seen face-to-face, -face, so they're requiring visit face-to-face. -face. The second one, you know, can be re rebooked in three months ahead. And uh, the third group in between four and six months ahead. And uh, this triage is done still on phone or on uh, Skype, Zoom or uh, other, you know, uh, VoIPs. Um, but are, are done, uh, is done by trained nurses, orthoptists, or oft with ophthalmology support always. And uh, so uh, this uh, we published in this paper. So we had uh, you know a, um, a table where we describe you know um, according to the uh, pathology of cornea, glaucoma, cataract, medical retina, surgical retina. If uh, is a matter of uh, surgery or a clinic or a clinic, so outpatient that can be managed in clinic, and so for each of them we have low risk, medium, and high risk, and um, we try to manage with the virtual clinic as much as we can. So our main problem is just uh, with the, the high risk, so the patient that have need, need you know face to face visit. And uh, in that case, we start with uh, another triage at the entrance uh, you know, of the hospital. And uh, so we need to check again the temperature. And if the temperature is more than 37.5, so, and they have moderate symptoms, they, uh, we ask just to, to the patient to go back home, okay? and to call uh, you know, the numbers provided for uh, eye visit remotely. In case they have severe symptoms, they go straight to the primary care. Okay. Um, general, of course, you know, the COVID primary care. 
in case the, pa- yeah. the, 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 the patient have a temperature less than 37.5, you know, they go through the head disinfection, gloves, surgical mask, and then they can stay in the waiting area with the distance uh, of at least two meters, you know, between, you know, the patients. And uh, of course, we try to reduce the waiting time and we book the patient one every 30 minutes. And then we provide, of course, uh, you know, sanification of uh, potential contaminated environment. And uh, what we are also doing, uh, we, we try to free up much needed resources. So that means, you know, we try to have two segregated teams, one working with COVID positive, one with COVID negative. But even for the one that are working with COVID negative, they use the same PPE because we really don't know if that one is, you know, COVID negative or positive asymptomatic. What is the meaning? The meaning is just to uh, um, avoid... uh, um, you know, the, uh, to spread, the, you know, the infection to the ophthalmologists that are high risk, like, you know, uh, ophthalmologists that are, you know, that they have more than 60 years old and also for the families. So um, colleagues that uh, in private uh, are in contact with the increased risk population should be located to the lower risk area. So working <coughs> mainly with the patient that uh, are potential COVID negative. Can I ask you then, so you have two teams that are working for, with different people. How do you know which patients are COVID positive and COVID negative? Is it, so do you test them all on arrival to the clinic or how do you know which ones are going to be in which team? This is uh, one of the main point of this phase two. So we are asking for uh, serology. So serological screening now is mandatory for the you know outpatient clinic okay for all patients all all patients patients. for inpatient so for the patients that need hospitalization is mandatory to have a nasal or throat swap okay with pcr but for outpatient clinic serological screening is mandatory and is also mandatory uh, to have tracing hub so contact tracing hub. So now there are a few that seems to work very well. As you know, in South Korea is really working very well. And then now in Italy, you know, in these days are, you know, we are going, you know, for an, uh, getting an approval for, you know, the both, you know, serological screening and tracing up. The patients who come for the outpatient's appointment, they need to have, serology testing yeah um let me ask you about that serology testing first of all uh, do you know what the sensitivity and specificity of that is compared to pcr which is still relatively poor i think for the pcr has about 70 to 80 percent sensitivity secondly how, how long does that serology take mm-hmm. um for the result to come back to you okay so the re- regarding the time is very fast really takes oh, okay. 15 minutes, one five. Oh, okay. okay, so very fast. Uh, the price not too high. So really, you know, uh, they can buy and they can do just before coming in. Then they can scan, mm. uh, you know, with, with uh, you know, QR code on the app and then they can have, you know, okay. straight on that. And uh, so this is the first point. And uh, about this, the sensibility specificity, this is a big problem because now uh, still are testing and are under validation compared to the PCR. But uh, um, uh, so now the points are going up very fast. So we are about uh, um, uh, 60% about the uh, sensibility, but it is, is going, you know, faster and fa- very fast, you know, with a uh, high percent. So um, at, at the moment, uh, is as a matter, you know, we have speaking with these epidemiologists and they were, you know, 
uh, advising still you know the serological screening because it's a matter of probability so even if the test is not so high in terms of specificity and sensibility still is better compared to don't have any kind of serological screening and uh, um, we need also to think about that this situation will be for uh, on will be on for a few months so in the meantime yeah. we will have a better you know serological screening and uh, so with the higher you know um, specificity so we think that still this is the way to go and to follow you know because we, we of course we can also have you know the swab uh, nasal swab for you know uh, for the patients but uh, um, we are thinking about outpatient clinic that means uh, yes. is really something that uh, has to be done in a large you know for a large amount of population and uh, still they have to do you know they need to do you know many times and uh, it's not just a matter of once in, in the life you know so yeah absolutely and i i, I worry so we, you've mentioned just now about the asymptomatic patient and, and this notion of the asymptomatic burden where patients can be asymptomatic and contagious and when you also then have a test that has a sensitivity of 60 to 70 percent i worry about the false negatives yeah. and i worry about the presumption that those without symptoms are not contagious when we know that that's simply not the case which is why we are under lockdown because of the fact that people can be asymptomatic and yet contagious. Because as you said, the, for me, the, the risk is not to the eye, it's to the ophthalmologist, exactly as you said. And, um, and I worry, do, do you worry from your perspective about um, this divide of patients between symptomatic and asymptomatic or test positive and test negative? Do, do you worry about how the ophthalmologists are protected or the ophthalmology team are protected in the two groups? Do you, do, do you have a difference no, the point is just for, you know, to minimize the risk for the ophthalmologists that are themselves, you know, high risk population. So it means okay. uh, if uh, I have like, uh, I am uh, uh, 65 years old, 60 years old, okay, it's better to work with, uh, you know, in a clinic that probably will be COVID negative, but, uh, or if I have thy parents back home, they are 80 years old, you know, probably is better, you know, to avoid. but still we need to use in the COVID positive group or COVID negative, you know, uh, team, I mean, uh, group, still the same kind of PPE because uh, the problem is that one. So it is, you know, these are many, you know, ways to, you know, um, decrease the probability of, uh, you know, uh, spreading uh, around. But still, uh, we are used. So one of the main problems are, uh, you know, the the PPE and the protection for the ophthalmologist. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So I was going to come on to that now, if you wouldn't mind. So um, protection also involves. Um, uh, uh, let's talk about cleaning of instruments. Um, can, can I ask, um, you mentioned in your paper using sodium hypochlorite to, 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 to clean the instruments. Um, excuse my ignorance, so how does that work? What, what do, is that just disinfectant wipes or how do you clean the instruments between, between the patients? Yeah, so the, 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 the first point probably to think about is how long is the coronavi coronavirus detectable on the surfaces? Yeah. Because on the plastic, uh, you know, we know that it's uh, three days. Uh, on the steel, is between two and three days. Uh, on the, you know, paper, is about 24 hours. So uh, the, it's not, the, problem, the matter is not just the air, the aerosol, because it's just three hours. So it's very important you know, you to clean. So what we found that uh, ethanol 70%, and there are a lot of publication, at, uh, ethanol 70% of concentration is, uh, uh, I mean, uh, is, uh, is good, is effective, is effective uh, you know, on the... Um, on the uh, anti as an antimicrobial agent, you know, for the sanification, 
and uh, also uh, the sodium hypochlorite, yes. 0.5% is also you know, good enough. So these are, these are the main two that we are using now. And, uh, you know, between the patient, we are cleaning uh, uh, the slit lamp and, uh, you know, uh, all uh, the, you know, the desk. And we are asking uh, uh, the patient just to uh, come, you know, to get inside alone without, you know, any... Uh, you know, relatives. So we'll try, you know, to minimize the contact as much as we can. For example, you know, even when we do the examination, um, we try to use uh, indirect ophthalmoscope more than, you know, the slit lamp to see and uh, and, uh, the lens to see the fundus. We try, you know, um, this, uh, you know, maneuver, but uh, I I know that is is minimal, but uh, uh, still, uh, you know, uh, probably, you know, are the, uh, the, the small things that, uh, you know, make the difference sometimes, you know. Now, now I'll talk, I'll ask you about the very um, controversial topic of PPE, of personal protective equipment, um, which you talked about in your paper. Um, you, you talk about the um, uh, AST, ASTM classification for surgical masks. Could you um, elaborate on that a little bit for me, who knows nothing about that classification for surgical masks? First thing to you know say probably is that uh, the ECDC, that is the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control, okay, suggested that to use uh, the FFP two or three. That mean FFP is an acronym for filtering phase piece, respiratory, of class two or class three. This is the main point. I, I probably, you know, um, we uh, don't know because we are not, you know, a virologist that uh, even, you know, like for example, in England um, was uh, the recommendation before COVID, but also in Italy was where a patient is no or suspected to have an infection spread via the aerosol route, you know, we need to use FFP3 respiratory. So that means, you know, Everybody knows it's not just a matter of COVID-19, but uh, was, you know, even before was clear that uh, we need to use, uh, you know, FFP2 or 3 PPE. So what is the difference? So um, let's start probably for, from a surgical mask, okay? Yeah. Surgical mask, you know, um, mm, Surgical mask is, uh, so we need to think about the filtering capacity towards outside, towards inside, okay? For the surgical mask, we have a good, uh, you know, uh, filtering towards outside, but, uh, you know, regarding the towards inside is less than 20%. So because, you know, there is a, there's a leakage and of course there is a, a, a way uh, for uh, the biological particles uh, to enter, you know, you know, under the mask. Let me clarify that. So the normal surgical mask that you put on your face has a better effect for your exhalation yeah. than, 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 than for your inhalation. So more things can get into you, the, uh, the wearer, um, but it helps you reduce your own pathogens leaving to the environment. Yeah. Is, that, is that correct? So it's protecting for the people around you, not for yourself. Yeah. Okay. okay. So regarding the FFP2, okay, that uh, in uh, US are the N95, okay? Yeah. We have uh, two different types, one without valve and one with valve, okay? The same things for FFP3, without valve and with valve. So what is the difference? The difference in uh, for uh, the one without valve, the filtering capacity towards outside and inside is very high. For FFP2 is 92%, 
for both outside and inside, and for FFP3 is even higher, 98% towards outside and towards inside. Then, then we have the FFP2 and FFP3 with the valve, okay? What is the difference? The difference is the filtering capacity of uh, towards outside. So that valve so permits to breathe easily with higher comfort for the people that are working like in uh, um, COVID, uh, with COVID patient because towards inside the, protect the protection is still very high, 92 and 98%, but towards outside is 20%, so it's very low. Of course, if I'm working already in you know intensive care unit where the people are already you know infected, all of them, so, and I need to be there for like 12 hours, probably, you know, it's better to have this one with the valve because, you know, I can breathe, you know, easily. It is more comfortable. Otherwise, it's, it's not easy with one with valve, um, um, without valve, you know, to, to keep it, you know, for a long time. So the one without the valve, that is harder to wear for a longer period of time. Yes, yes. Okay, the one without the valve, and that's because, it, and that that one without the valve has a has a better filtering for your exhalation, yeah, as well, yeah, for okay. both, yeah, for both, of course, yeah. for both. But for the both. difference yeah. between the valves is what, okay. So if you, if I have also a patient that is COVID positive, uh, it's better that uh, you know if, and uh, is going around. I don't know in the clinic. It's better to keep the you know the mask FFP two without valve okay without valve, okay. otherwise it's like using a surgical mask you know so it's a controversial topic um uh, because uh, because of uh, access to these masks and and access to to other ppe so in the uk just this this weekend they are talking about the surgical gowns being reused because we uh, because they're running out um, yeah do you do, do you wear the gowns with full sleeves in the clinics as well? Yeah, um, we have, uh, you know, in the clinics, uh, we have the waterproof, you know, gowns on. And, uh, you know, between the patient, we have also a kind of apron that you can, you know, put on. And uh, is uh, uh, we can, in, and we need to change, uh, you know, uh, every patient. So, uh, you know, we have, so one, you know, underneath this waterproof and the one, on the top of this one that is not waterproof that but we need to change every time can, can i ask you um, about the ppe also which which i didn't see in your paper but i'll just ask your opinion on this um in the uk anyway we have a, a differentiation for ppe for those things that are regarded as aerosol generating procedures so intubation extubation for example which produces aerosol and aerosol are small molecules um, of less than five to 10 microns, which have a very short potential, short distance of travel. Um, in the UK, the Public Health England have, have defined aerosol generation as a variety of things, but they also include surgery with high speed devices, high speed devices, such as dental drills, um, et cetera. Now, Faco, FACO machines, uh, the, the tip of a FACO handpiece is about 40 kilohertz. Uh, the vitrectomy, you know, we cut at over 5,000 cuts a minute. So for me, that is um, high-speed device. What do you do? So, so for me and the, the British VR Society and the Royal College of Ophthalmologists have recently put out guidelines recommending that uh, vitrectomy should be regarded as a um, aerosol generating procedure and therefore we should have FFP3 masks. What, what are you doing in Milan for a vitrectomy? Because in reality we will try and defer most surgeries but the surgery that will be happening most frequently will be retinal detachment surgery uh, with pars plantar vitrectomy. So whatever happens we'll st we still have to do a vitrectomy. So what are you doing uh, for a vitrectomy in terms of protection for you and for the patients and for your staff? I think there's a, a 
you know big difference between you know the dentist and our you know surgery because you know sure. they, they have been uh, published few paper saying that you know in the lacma in there we they didn't find really you know the virus just was just you know in about less than five percent of the cases so uh and then uh, of course the dentist uh, you know has a, a different approach so the, the the people are you know breathing during you know during the procedures and so it's different mm. still uh, you know um regarding what we are doing at the moment uh, we are keeping the mask ffp2 or 3 okay then uh, this is a, a uh we we got a grant working uh on looking at the to develop a you know room under pressure okay so actually we the room the operating room are over pressure that means we have a high pressure that is getting in and then when we open the door you know the everything yeah. is inside get outside okay yeah positive it, pressure P positive positive, positive pressure. pressure yeah in yeah. the infected COVID room, you know, we are looking for, you know, under pressure, so negative pressure. That means that, the, you know, we have low air inflow, okay, and high air outflow through the vents, okay. So that means that through the vents. So that means when we open the door, we don't have really something that is getting from inside to outside. Uh, this is uh, this is good because you know most of the time you have uh, uh, it's not just a matter of ophthalmology but uh, even in other you know pathology but uh, still uh, we want to keep uh, everything uh, you know inside the theater and then then goes you know through the vents not uh, you know spread in the you know all the theaters around uh, this is just uh, um, something where you know on we are working on um, and uh, and uh, another good another things that we are doing as I think uh, everywhere we use this uh, you know skirt that can reduce the aerosol spread that we put on the patient of course but still as we move uh, you know this uh, you know skirt you know it can reatomize the virus so it can spread the virus into the air so when uh, you know as long we finish the operation we move it you know the, the situation becomes the same so you know the a lot of you know dispersion of the uh, of the molecules around and uh, also outside of the theater. So th th that's why, you know, um, the, the main problem is, uh, to, is to cover, you know, ourselves uh, with the FF during the surgery. But the problem is not just there, it's when we open the door of the theater at the end of the surgery. And then, you know, it goes everywhere because we have a positive pressure that's, you know, uh, spread, you know, the... Uh, spread out spread out uh, yeah the more so, yeah. so some people are also putting a an extra drape around the microscope to 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 so that you have like a tent yeah underneath the microscope as well as the drape on the patient so that you are like operating like in a hood in a in a science laboratory yeah um with the hood underneath so with a microscope I, I, I have seen. I have seen also the, the they wrote a, like case report that has been published. And, but still, you know, the point is when you finish the surgery, you need to move it. Yes. You need to, you know, yes. and that, that is the point. That everything. So just for the time where we are working on, but uh, uh, you know, the nurses that is uh, you know the that is running outside can you know get the virus very easily. Can I ask from a personal perspective, um, operating with, with the goggles on, um, I found that somewhat challenging. H how have you found it? Yes, it's very challenging, really. And uh, uh, we are using it and we are using also, you know, in the clinic when we need to see the, uh, the patient because we are not, you can use the shield or the goggles. And uh, so, and really it's not easy also because uh, so it's not easy also to keep for a long time. Sure. And, uh, sure. but you know, at the moment, uh, uh, there's yeah. also something uh, that are, you know, um, I'm not testing, but uh, I know that a few groups are testing uh, the drops with uh, povidone iodine, 
0.6%. So basically for the doctors, if, if you put three times a day, uh, probably you are covered for you know the virus infection. And uh, so, so on yourself, on, on yourself, yourself, not on the patient, on yourself. Yeah. Putting poverty night in, in your own yeah. eyes. But 0.6%. So that's yeah, sure. very low concentration. Uh, in Italy and in other countries uh, are, uh, who are using it for, uh, you know, adenovirus infection. And uh, okay. so, and uh, it's a medical device, not uh, even a drug, but because the concentration is very low. And uh, so now they are testing if it's, uh, you know, uh, it can be useful for this. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, should we move on in your paper then? Um, uh, you talk about um, the intensive care. You, you've had to see some patients in intensive care, I, I, I imagine, or I, I, yeah. I expect. What do you, what, what, and we've already discussed that the eye is probably not uh, terribly affected in this disease, but what are your findings? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so the conjunctivitis is not the, pro the real problem, I think. And uh, regarding, so we know regarding the conjunctivitis, what we can have is follicles, so that uh, yeah. are hyperplastic uh, lymphoid tissue, you know, but it's not nothing really. And uh, what we need probably, you know, um, in the uh, you know in the intensive care unit, uh, um, we have uh, the patient that is in a prone positioning first of all, okay. Yes. And yeah. then uh, has this uh, you know high risk of uh, you know hypercoagulability. So and uh, so means risk of occlusion. So regarding uh, you know um, my point of view, you know that I've been you know in the intensive care unit. <laughs> So what I found, uh, uh, okay, corneal injuries, okay, but of course it's something very easy to treat, but just like a steri strip, you know, is enough, or some lubrific lubrificant drop, and uh, but at other points sometimes, uh, you know, we can find you know central retinal artery occlusion or ischemic optic neuropathy. You know, because we have, uh, you know, systemic hypotension, hypoxemia due to the respiratory distress syndrome and prolonged prone position altogether, sometimes, you know, we can have, you know, these uh, findings in intensive care unit. The, the hypercoagulability, is that, excuse my ignorance, is that a result of the disease itself or is it because of the uh, the, the positioning and the and the immobility of the patient. I think uh, are both together because oh, okay. uh, the immobility plays a role, but also the yeah. inflammation that is very high. You know, increase the D dimer that uh, uh, you know is uh, a, a the D dimer. Yes, D dimer that comes from uh, yeah. you know the uh, hyper the fibrinolysis okay and yeah. so um, this is both together they increase the risk of you know have uh, you know this occlusion yeah do, do you find um, vascular changes within the retina or uh, from your uh, from your experience yeah uh, no what we found that sometimes you have this uh, optic uh, you know neuropathy and you can yeah. see, you know, it's very, and also I found, uh, you know, this uh, central retina artery occlusion. And uh, so it's, it's quite rare, but, you know, there are, you know, I just saw, you know, a couple. Probably last things to, you know, think about the phase two. Um, we want to probably set up uh, um, a screening program because we don't know if the combination of both, uh, you know, Caletra that is Ritonavir and Liponavir and Hydroxychloroquine together because they yes. both can give in the chronicity, okay, in the, um, the um, bullseye maculopathy, okay, so for both the the accumulation can give, you know, damage of the retinal pigment epithelium. We know that uh, we are using uh, just for a few days, a couple of weeks. It's not a matter of, you know, um, chronic, uh, you know, treatment. Yeah. But still, we don't know if the uh, synergies between them, okay, together can lead also something in acute because there are just few reports 
that in acute they can give some. So I, I mean, what the, I want to say that you know probably in the screening program program for the patient that. Uh, are COVID negative, uh, probably we can ask, uh, you know, to go to the, you know, um, ophthalmo go through the ophthalmology visit just to check with the OCT and with the fluorescent angiography if everything is fine. And uh, uh, yeah. So you're talking about as a result of using ritonavir, which is an antiviral yeah, yeah. and hydroxychloroquine, yeah. you're concerned there may be some maculopathy. Yeah. And so... And, and ritonavir is used, as you say, for a short period of time. Yeah. And hydroxychloroquine. So you mean afterwards, say, afterwards, yeah. when they're discharged, all being well, they're discharged yeah. and they are healthy and happy, then yeah. following them up subsequently to see if there is any change. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we don't know really, but, uh, you know, there is a very nice paper published on hydroxychloroquine. And mm. they said that, uh, you know, can give in the chronicity some effects, but the odds ratio, if you use hydroxychloroquine, for example, plus tamoxifen, okay, the odds ratio is five. So it means uh, the probability is uh, five times higher. So, and uh, we, don't know, we don't know really if in combination with another drug that is giving the same kind of toxicity, even for a few weeks, uh, you know, if they can give it, probably no, but, you know, uh, we need something that we need to check on. In the long term. When do you see yourself maybe returning to some kind of normality in Milan? Probably when uh, we have, uh, a, you know, vaccine, vaccine or something that, uh, you know, uh, is, uh, I'm... Uh, probably, I think, uh, at least uh, in uh, uh, eight months. And so this is what uh, are telling us, you know, in these weeks. But uh, at the moment, we really need to, what we like to have, uh, we don't want the, you know, the lockdown anymore. At the same time, we want to try, you know, to do the best for, uh, you know, for the older people, for the, our patient, for ourselves. And, but uh, at the same time, we need to carry on doing, uh, you know, our job as ophthalmologists, you know, taking care of the patients. And in this moment, we cannot really at all, you know, so, and... Uh, How long have you been in lockdown for? For now, eight weeks. So in the UK now we are coming up to our, we've done four weeks and uh, we're going to be for a further three weeks um, and we don't know how much longer after that. Um, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenging and terrifying time for all of us actually. Um, have you any further or any other comments you'd like to, to, to give to our listeners? For us, you know, uh, the first moment was really something uh, so strong, you know, for also emotional point of view. And also yes. because we found many of us, you know, getting infected by the virus. And, uh, you know, as I was telling you before, one, you know, was uh, one died. So really was very, you know, for us, something very uh, not easy, you know, to to uh, face, uh, you know, on. so um, uh, nothing now, what we, we are now, uh, you know, in a good shape. So we want to do the best. Uh, and um, so, of course, uh, we need, we want to start again. And, uh, but um, is like a puzzle. We need to find the right way to start, you know, in order to, you know, minimize the risk. And uh, this is uh, our main concern. And uh, that's it. But, you know, it's time to start again, I think. Can I, can I ask you as, as a VR surgeon, just something we've noticed here in the UK, that there's been a, a reduction in the number of retinal detachments that are presented over this period. Is that something you, you experience in Milan? Um, and we expect it to pick up and then a lot of PVR to present. Yeah, um, same things for us, you know, you know, I think the retinal detachment are still there <laughs> and uh, probably the, the people, uh, you know, of course, the, if, uh, you know, uh, the retinal detachment is typical of, you know, uh, old people. So, I mean, uh, is uh, uh, the yeah. same high risk population. So probably they are thinking uh, to stay home, you know, to do, to go for an, uh, you know, high visit later on. 
and that's why they are keeping it. And we are really afraid also to open again because we don't know what yeah. can happen. And uh, one thing I also, if you have any experience in in in, in because I think the the way we deliver ophthalmology care and healthcare generally is going to change after this uh, forever. Um, and I think there's going to be a huge growth in telemedicine and also in teleophthalmology. Do, do you have any experience in Milan of, of, um, of remote, remote ophthalmology with, with, um, with teleophthalmology, with, with wide field imaging or, or anything like that? Um, because there are, there, there are centers in the UK that have such things. And we are speaking since years now about telemedicine, deep learning, mm. machine learning, virtual clinic and i think mm. all of them are different things but they can play together you know the same uh, in the same direction so probably you know we will uh, go much faster on this way and uh, uh, but still uh, you know virtual clinic something that we can uh, probably easy you know manage right now but uh, telemedicine uh, we need to have a device somewhere google and uh, um, other companies are working on a lot on telemedicine even in ophthalmology um, also checking they, they try to check instead you know with the seriology just uh, with uh, you know um, morpho with morphology changes of the vasculature so something that uh, right now cannot be done but you know the telemedicine i think will be will improve a lot verily is also working uh, very quickly yeah very quickly yeah and will help for of course uh, i think covid is a very bad things but uh, in the you know next future will bring you know something uh, you know some good things good things <laughs> for ophthalmology and, and, and for people i think we will value things we will value things that we we took for granted before and yeah. uh, i think it, it'll change society and medicine um forever hopefully in a good way yeah um Mario, it's been a real pleasure talking to you on this podcast. Um, Mario Romano's paper um, is facing COVID-19 in, in the ophthalmology department is just published um, in current eye research. And we'll, we'll put the details of this paper in our podcast. Uh, Mario, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Um, I hope you stay well and your family stays well um, and stay safe, my friend. And I will look forward to uh, buying you a drink at the next um, at the next retina meeting thank you very much you are very kind and thank you for your invitation and uh, you know we will see for sure soon you know <laughs> with the beer <laughs> my okay. pleasure Rana. thank Mara. you take care well that's the end of the episode and i hope you enjoyed it as always we'd love to hear from you with any feedback suggestions or if you want to participate in the show send an email to communications at rcops.ac.uk we have some great content lined up for the coming weeks and months and can't wait to share it with you. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe or leave a review.